Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. For people to be successful inside of organizations, they need to have the experience that they're trusted, that they're experiencing respect, giving and receiving, and that they also feel safe. Today on episode 474 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with the CEO of Mindlight Group, Esther Weinberg. I'm going to ask Esther how you can create a positive culture in an organization where there's a lot of uncertainty and much more. Find out more about Esther along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Now, before we jump into this incredibly important topic with Esther, I want to tell you a little bit about how you can stand out from your competition. It's a noisy world out there. Your business is unique, and you want someone on your team who can really help you smash through the digital chaos and get noticed by your ideal customers. With the capabilities to meet all of your marketing needs, SiteHub can make your unique vision come to life. At the end of this episode, you will have an opportunity to listen to SiteHub's CEO, Sean McKay, offer you tips to help you create value with a resonating focus. So make sure you listen all the way to the end to get Sean's marketing tip. And for my listeners, SiteHub is offering a free root cause finder. You can get your free copy at smashingtheplateau.com slash SiteHub. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash SiteHub. Now let's welcome Esther Weinberg. Esther is the founder of Mindlight Group. She and her team help mid to large media companies, their employees, and their executive leadership teams to find and mentor dignity, leadership, and personal power in the workplace. Esther is a powerhouse game changer who has successfully transformed organizations, executive leaders, and teams for over 20 years. Esther creates breakthrough strategies for such companies as Netflix, Disney, Warner Brothers, Universal Pictures, Microsoft, CNN, and IMAX. Esther has held executive positions at Disney and Fox. Esther, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. And I really appreciate everything you're doing for entrepreneurs and solopreneurs. So I'm delighted to help and to be here and share what I can in any way. Great. Uh, well, thanks so much. And I appreciate your taking some time out to be on Smashing the Plateau. So let's start off, Esther, by talking about what it's like to be part of an industry that's going through a pretty major transformation, and in particular, what it's like for you to try to create a positive culture in the companies that you work with in this industry, where they're facing lots of change and challenges. Yeah, I think that, you know, look, there's no secret that the entertainment business is going through lots of different changes. I mean, I would say that they're, that they're in the midst of things that many industries are faced. You've got technological changes, you have economic shifts, you have generational shifts. And so I think that, and you've got lots of mergers and acquisitions that are happening in the industry too. So what I find that happens with employees is first of all, it's what does it mean to me? Because as an example, you have the recent Time Warner, AT&T merger slash acquisition. And I'm sure people inside of that company are saying, how does this impact me What's going to, am I going to have a job? I mean, I think that's the first thing that people say. And then what I'd say that people quickly revert to is how do I stay relevant? Because if the deck chairs are going to 
change proverbially, then how do I stay relevant within the industry than I am within my company? Because I may want, not want to leave. I don't know if I want to find another job. And so I would say that those are all the questions and good questions, smart questions that people tend to ask themselves. Now, the, of course, the flip side is that what do you do about it? Because you want to stay, because to your point, when you're saying about staying positive, it's quite easy to say, okay, I'm going to be the one when, uh, you know, when I was a kid and they played musical chairs, you don't ever want to be the one who doesn't have a seat. <laughs> so I think that people are all asking the question of how do I continue to allow myself to stay really positive and engaged and not distracted by the news? Because I think that once people start getting into reading the news and the trades, that's just a quick derailer, as you can well imagine, as I'm sure you've seen too for yourself and in your own industries. Yeah, I try, I try to avoid paying attention to the news because it's just, it's a downer. Yeah, it just. <laughs> <laughs> Plain and simple. And most of, most of the problems they talk about, if, if I'm lucky, I can you know, put a drop in the bucket of the solution. No, you're right. And what happens is that what I find when I work with people, the most important thing I say to them, and the first thing you have to start with is boundaries. How, where are the places that you, first of all, before you start talking about relevancy and staying positive, the first thing I work with people on is say to them, okay, what are the boundaries that you need? So for example, I was working with an executive and he was going through a major merger and he wanted to be able to be the head of this global division. He was the head of a domestic division right now. And he was concerned that he may not be able to vie for that job because that uh, someone had just left and he wasn't sure if they were going to replace the position or if they were just going to make a global head. I mean, uh, the person was heading international and and he had a domestic and he wanted to fold them all under a uh, global head. He was concerned that they may do that and then not give him the job. So what we talked about was what are the boundaries that you have to start putting up? And one of them, interestingly enough, was around news and gossip. One is how often he actually reads the news every day what, you know, segmenting times in the day to which he does that. Second thing is also how he engages with other people in conversations about what's happening in his division as well as the company. And then the third thing that he started doing, because we were talking about relevancy, is he really would go in with a global mindset for all conversations. So he would inject the global point of view. So it's almost as if almost having a seat at the table in a larger way without formally being given it. And I don't mean coming in and muscling in his point of view, but he would say, you know, domestically, here's what we would think about it. But we have to remember that these companies are global and here is the impact that we're seeing on a global basis. So we would do it in a way that was very respectful, very kind, very generous, very safe. And also because he had a new boss, his boss didn't really know the global business. And so he was also educating him at the same time. And that wound up working very much in his favor. I mean, still the jury's out whether or not they are going to hire a global head or whether he's going to get it. But for right now, he's the most poised for it as a result. Yeah, that's a really a powerful example. Yeah, because, you know, the first thing that you know is I remember uh, a few months ago, I was doing a speaking engagement at a for a global marketing conference and we were talking about relevancy in the business. And it could be this can be applied to any business. The first thing we did talk about was really thinking about, first of all, what are the changes that you're noticing? What are the implications? And how does this really impact you and the organization? And then start thinking about, okay, what are the issues that are really 
you know, the keeping you up at night? What are the issues that you find that are really stirring you that it just you're really worried about that you're pressed about? What do you feel about it? And what do you really fear? Because what I find is when people are going through all these changes that their fear starts taking over and their ability to make great decisions. And you know, this is neuroscience says this when you go into fight or flight mode, it's very difficult for you to be able to make sound wise decisions. And then once people start identifying that and start thinking about, okay, well, what's the best outcome and what are things that I need to that old, what do I need to stop doing? What I call it, break and accelerate. What do I need to break? What, do I, what habits do I need to break? And what things do I need to amp up in order to put myself in a better mindset? Because the first thing I say is your mindset is everything. You come in and you're down and you're thinking that, boy, am I going to get, you know, this is not going to work out for me at all. And I don't know what's going to happen. It's almost like a bit of paranoia then you're not going to be able to actually get yourself out of that fight or flight mode. The second you start asking yourself questions, you start being able to think more soundly, more groundedly, and then you could start getting yourself out of that fight or flight mode. Esther, what does it mean to mentor dignity, leadership, and personal power? Well, the way that I see, I think that, you know, it's funny because I've been working inside of organizations for a long time, and I really think the number one secret sauce, if it was put inside any the fabric of any organization would make a huge shift and that's dignity. And what I mean by that is how do I value myself and how do I really value others foundationally? What I mean by that is in order to be able to value yourself and value others, there are three things I think that really important to be present. First of all, one could argue that dignity, you know, we're all born with dignity. You know, we should respect people for who they are and value people for who they are and the contributions they bring no matter what. But what I find is for people to be successful inside of organizations, they need to have the experience that they're trusted, that they're experiencing respect, giving and receiving, and that they also feel safe. People don't feel safe to do the work. What I mean by safety, it could easily be, um, maybe you've experienced this, you're in a meeting and you start to say something and someone cuts you off. Well, how safe it is, is it going to be for you to speak up again? Well, I don't think so. So it could be small things like that or larger things. Someone cuts you out actually going to a meeting. They don't ask you, they take you off a project for no reason, don't even explain to you. So I find that in order to have freedom to do your work and to really be creative and generate best ideas in order to be able to strategize and execute, you need those three things to be present, trust, respect, and safety. And that's what I mean. And by organizations, when you actually implement this kind of culture of dignity, when you hire people, you're hiring people based on the basis of, hey, look, when you come work here, we're agreeing that you're giving back to the organization. That's how I define mentorship, that it's a that it is a must. It's not like, hey, if you see something happen, maybe you'll say something or maybe you'll help something out. No, you come and work here. You're part of the fabric of make what makes the it all work. And so you're going to give back. People will give to you. And that constant cycle and flow is what I mean by mentoring. And when a workplace has made some shift in a positive direction so that people feel trusted, respected, and safe, what is the end result? Well, the end result is greater level of engagement. There's reduced turnover. The hiring issues are gone. It increases profitability of the company. I mean, there's there's a lots of good key reasons for actually doing it, but those are just some of the benefits that you're going to get from it. Right. So one of the things that I've experienced when 
an organization is under threat because of changes in the marketplace mm-hmm. is um, employees, and you talked about that at the very beginning, mm-hmm. employees are scared about yep. what the potential changes mean to them mm-hmm. and are they going to have a job. So how do you juxtapose that fear mm-hmm. with feeling safe in an environment where continued employment seems kind of risky. Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, when you're going through a merger, let's take that as an example. You can't, it, it's very difficult to guarantee someone a hundred percent that they're going to have a job. You just don't know that. First of all, you may not know it because you don't even know if you have a job. Correct. Now I know many senior executives that don't know if they're going to have a job and then they're, they're overseeing teams of hundreds and hundreds of people and they're going to have to reassure them. The only things that you can do is a few things. Number one is you can communicate as much as you know, as transparently as you know it to people and also create environments for them where they can share and express what they're feeling and what they're experiencing. It also means that in their day-to-day work, you continue to reinforce good behaviors. You continue to communicate with people. You continue to coach them. You continue to mentor them. You continue to do the work. And you also continue to reinforce best behavior and best practices while at the same time you share with them and acknowledge when things come up. If something happens in the press, I had a client once when the, um, an acquisition they were going through was so volatile, but he would bring his staff together every time there was something in the news. He would say, okay, let's talk about it. This came out today. I mean, there wasn't articles coming out every single day. That would have been a little excessive. But every few weeks, something happened. And so he would bring his team together and say, okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what we're experiencing. Let me share with you what I know so far. Because when people are going through change, what they want to be able to get is information. I think um, Dr. David Rock said it when he was talking about uh, neuroscience and his he has a model called the SCARF model. And, and each of those, it's an acronym. And one thing that he was saying within it is that people want a degree of certainty. They want to feel some kind of road under their feet. They want to know that something is certain as much as you know, to be able to share with them for them to be able to feel that way. He also shared that people also want to feel that their status, that's what the S stands for, that their status is not in jeopardy. And so whatever you can do to reassure them, not from a place of lying, I mean, you've got to be really, really clear. I don't you know. I'm telling you as much as I know, we're going to work out as much as we can that's as much as you can do within this kind of given situation. Then people know and feel, and they have the experience that when something actually happens, that will be a, a, an impact on them, that you're going to come and tell them. That's what I mean by trust, respect, and safety. They respect you to know that you've been straight with them. They trust you and know that no matter what, you're going to come and tell them and be straight with them. And you, no matter what's going to happen, is providing a safe environment for them. And there are some things that are genuinely out of your control. And as much as you can protect those three things, engagement will actually increase. Right. So ultimately, as the supervisor, you're sending the message that you support the employee's success. A hundred percent. You know, there was there was some great work that was done by Paul J. Zach. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He actually wrote this book called um, The Trust Factor. Uh, I think it's the subhead is the science of creating high performance companies. And he was talking about that in his research, employees in high trust organizations have 74% less stress. They have 106% more energy, 50% higher productivity, 
40% less burnout, 76% more engagement. So there's a lot of business benefit for you actually to create an environment like the one we're talking about. This is David. I'd like to take a quick break from today's episode to let you know that you too can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. We have a free resource to help you smash the plateau in 30 days. Go to our website, smashingtheplateau.com, and send me a message requesting your free tool. I'd love to help you smash the plateau. Esther, what's the most common problem companies are facing when they come to you for help? Oh, I would say, you mean when people, when they're going through change? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say number one is uh, communication. Definitely lots of organizations have issues around communication. And then it's definitely around behavior. But lots of times that they're interlinked because sometimes people will say, well, people are not engaged or we really want, we know this is a very volatile time, but we want people to still be productive and do their work. And then when you really get underneath it, there hasn't been a real thorough communication plan. There hasn't been a thorough structure for how it impacts them personally. And I tell you, I found one thing to be true, that when people go through a change, it's like we talked about earlier, they want to know how it's going to impact them first. And so I have found something to be very true. It's kind of like an equation, if you would call it this, that your emotions plus your experience plus your actions equal sustainable change. And so if you're feeling, you know, I'll give you an innocuous example. I had a client once and I, uh, I came and I, we had a great first meeting and we were leaving and this is very LA and we were, we were done with the meeting and I said, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll set up a, we're going to set up our next session with you and, um, the CEO of the organization. And so I'll have my assistant talk to your assistant and we'll set it all up. As I said, very LA. And so, and so she said, no, 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 no. Um, uh, don't do that. Uh, that's, um, I'll handle it. And I thought it was really odd because she was a senior vice president. She had a full staff, she had an assistant. She really wanted to elevate up. Uh, her organization was going through lots of change. And I thought it was a little strange. So when I dug a little bit, I said, well, you know, what's going on with your assistant? She goes, oh, no, 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 I don't trust her. I don't trust her. I just think she she's not productive. She's not proactive in her work. And eh, it's just a problem. It's just a problem. And so, <laughs> so we started exploring it. And when I asked her what her emotions were around it, she was, I mean, it was really clear. She was angry. She was frustrated. And when I when we were exploring what her experience was about her assistant, every time she walked into work in the morning and she saw her and she didn't even see what she was doing, but she immediately thought, oh, she's on social media again. She's on Instagram. I can't believe it. She's being distracted. She's not being productive. <laughs> she's not doing anything I asked her to do. And so I asked her, well, you know, are, what are you doing to change it? And she said, well, you know, I'm talking to you about it. I thought, oh, okay. All right. So in other words, and when I asked her how long this has been going on, she said two years, over two years. So if you, you can apply this formula, anything, if she was as frustrated and angry, really, and if her experience was as she was really sharing, then if her actions were that she was the wrong person in role, then she would have actually taken those actions and there would be a sustainable change. The, the person would have been out of the role. And once we started working together, the, the person had moved on to another division and she had gotten someone who was incredible and perfect what she needed. But and it wasn't the issue that someone needed to get fired. It had to do with the fact that if your 
emotions and your experience and your actions don't line up, there's no way there's going to be able to have sustainable change. There's no way that you're going to be engaged and be able to buy into the change that needs to happen. It's just not going to. Yeah. And very often those kinds of situations are challenging for people inside to recognize and even more challenging for them to address. Yeah. I find that going back to your earlier question, I mean, I think that while organizations may come to me also because of, you know, behavioral issues or communications or just how do we actually move through this change from a process perspective, lots of times you're dealing with mindset shifts that people are very wedded in their way of doing things. And it's very difficult to take on a new normal. It just is. And I think that's, it's quite normal. Yeah, very, very much so. Mm-hmm. So Esther, I wonder if we could shift and, and talk a little bit about sure. your, your business. Yeah, absolutely. And what has worked well for you as you have built your own business? Well, there's been lots of things. I would say that one of the first is really orienting around something that your brand or that your something that's your own passion that you see a need for the in marketplace and that you can extend it out. So for us, it's all around this notion of dignity and how do you value, create more value for you and for others to create. Once you do that for yourself, then you can be a greater value and extend that value to your team and as well as to the organization. So I would say that that was really one of the most critical pieces to get really right initially. Because otherwise it's very difficult to then develop products and services off of that if you don't know you know, what, what is that old adage? If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. <laughs> right. So I would say that's first. Okay. And uh, what else has worked well, particularly when it comes to creating consistent, stable revenue? Well, I would say there's a few things. One is having a consistent base of communication with your clients, as well as with potential, potential clients. One thing I think that people don't emphasize enough I remember a mentor of mine said years ago, he said, you really have to do what you can to take care of, to overtake care of the people that you're currently in business with. I mean, just providing with them really care and attention, remembering things that are key to them, making sure if there's something both personally, professionally that's happening, you're really reaching out to them. And I can't over index that enough. I think that when you start when people really start feeling that there's a genuine level of care that you have for them, that's beyond, Hey, I want you to sign me up for another project. They're actually, you're, you're in business with them for a longer time. So I would say that's very true. And then there, there, people also want to refer you more. And I don't mean over indexing on customer care is because people are just going to refer you, but I mean, you do it out of a place of giving first and then a referral basis is always incredibly critical. How do you ask for that? And how do you sustain it on a regular basis? I find that entrepreneurs sometimes are very tenuous about asking people for referrals. And I think that that's what I tell people about it. And a mentor of mine said it to me once, and it made so much sense to me is in order for me to provide and my organization to provide all the work that we're doing, we need you to help us get clients. (laughs) And so, and unabashedly about it. And so I think that that's really critical. I think have a system of ongoing communication with not only with people you're currently in, you're currently invested in your current clients, but also for, for people to get to know you through social media, I think is really is vital because people really do want to experience you many, many times, especially these days, people want to experience you many, many times before they actually go and say that they want to buy. Right. And in many different ways. 
Yes. Yes. Like you could be a guest on a podcast. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Smashing the plateau. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Esther, Esther, whom do you know personally who has done a really remarkable job at smashing the plateau? Well, I would say, you know, in my in my business, I would say there's a few people. One is I really love there's a gentleman by the name of Vern Harness. She wrote a book called Scaling Up. And entrepreneurs may know him because he created the gazelle system that lots of entrepreneurs use. And uh, he offers products and services on his website for free. And I think that he's done an amazing job of creating this multi-million dollar business that is actually, you know, it's a book and, the, and then an extension from the book, all these worksheets and work products. And that's really helped thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs sustain and create and build their business from a very strategic perspective. So I think he's done it in a very, very smart way. So I think he's been, you know, I, I think that's a great example of of someone. And I'm talking about people that are closer in line to the business that that I run to. There's lots of great entrepreneurs that have, I think, smashed the glass ceiling or smashed any plateau, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I would say people that are closer to my business, also a gentleman named Marshall Goldsmith. I think that he is, he's an extraordinary um, executive coach to many, many CEOs globally. And I think he's done a masterful job and he's actually, um, a Buddhist and, but he consults with both organizations and nations on key critical issues, not just business, but also within governments for their success. And so I think that those are, those are incredible examples of people that have really, um, said what plateau and have moved past it. Yeah. Great examples. What's coming up for you in the near future? So based on everything that we've talked about today, so I'm I'm finishing up a book called The Dignity Zone. And so that concept is all that we've been talking about. So how do you create, when I mean dignity zone, it's that environment that you choose to create around yourself to value yourself. Then, then how do you create a dignity zone for your team? Because once you create more value for you, you can then create more value for others. And then how do you create a dignity zone for your organization? So it's a step-by-step guide and practical, very practical uses on exactly how to do it. So that will be coming out in the next few months. Sounds great. Well, congratulations on uh, nearing the completion of it. Yes, it feels like a big birth, let me tell you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Esther, if somebody wants to go deeper with what you shared today or access any of the free resources that you have or learn more, where would they go? It's very simple. You go to mindlightgroup.com. That's mind like your head, light like a light bulb, group like all of us, mindlightgroup.com. And there's plenty of uh, videos and free resources that people can access. Esther, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It's been a great discussion. You've done some extraordinary work and um, I'm glad to be able to feature you. So thank you for, for taking the time to be here. My guest today has been the CEO of MindLight Group, Esther Weinberg. Thank you again, Esther, for joining us. Thank you so much. This was great. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Do you want to do a better job of smashing through the digital chaos and getting noticed by your ideal customers? I'd like to share this tip by Sean McKay the CEO of SiteHub. 
So really, how do you create value that really resonates with people? You don't even have to have the best product or service in the world. You just have to have a promotion or a pitch that really connects with somebody on an emotional level. Sometimes this comes down to branding, which is honestly one of the most confused words in my industry. But you know, the way that you talk about your product or service, the teeny tiny little details that you say and do that elicit emotional responses, that's how you resonate with your clients. You really have to understand them. So the key is first, truly understanding these customers, be in their shoes, talk to them a lot. You know, you might think that you have a good pulse on your business because you're in it every day, but sometimes you really need to, to take an outside view of how your customers experience your own product or service. Once you do that, you might have a better chance of finding a way to truly connect with them in an emotional response. Don't just focus on your, your features and benefits of your product, but really talk to them like people, strategize with them how you're going to solve their problem or take away their pain. Thank you, Sean. You can get your free root cause finder from Sean at smashingtheplateau.com slash sitehub. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash sitehub. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them smash the plateau. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.